on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, August 16th, year of our Lord, 2022. But that little rainbow marshmallow was to Lucky Charms, this show, I promise you, will be to your college football appetite. We are jam-packed. We are high atop an overly social downtown Nashville, Tennessee tonight. I'm going to wait until a little bit later in the show. Wait till you hear what management is doing. Even as we speak, wait till you hear what management is doing. Hey, whispers, intel, scoop, all kinds of stuff happening. Fall camps, scrimmages. We've got some unfortunate injury updates but it happened. And so now we've got to talk about how it's going to impact the landscape, both in conferences and nationally. The, a- <laughs> the AP polls out. Did you hear? Uh, I finally got a copy f- for myself. And as you know, the JP poll was released Sunday. We're going to do a, a good old-fashioned comparative analysis tonight. JP versus AP. Who's overrated? Who's underrated? How do I explain my current stance on the Notre Dame fighting Irish? Hey, you people are going to need me sooner than you think. Better be kind to me. I'm going to be the only one left in your corner. Mark my words. Watch and see what I tell you. Also, we've got a loaded mailbag. You know, once upon a time, this would have been the day where we released the Late Kick Extra podcast. But now we're in more regular season mode, and so we have a Tuesday night Late Kick Live. That doesn't mean we can't go into the mailbag. So I've got, I think, Jesse, four or five questions that we're going to answer tonight. A rare August dive into the mailbag. Doesn't have to be rare, though. You let me know you like it, and we'll do it every week. Elkins, Arkansas, they are tuned in tonight. Kansas City, the Missouri side, tuned in. Easily, South Carolina. Eagle River, Alaska. One week from tonight, mark your calendars. We decided yesterday where the every given Saturday tour week one destination will be. So we've got the map on the wall. We've got the pen in our week one destination. One week from tonight, we will make that official. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you're new around here and judging by our numbers, a lot of you are. Thank you so much for being a part of our family. We think it's the only college football show you need. But if you're new around here, we go to a game every week. We take the crew out on the road. We take cameras out on the road. We go to a different game every week. And I know where we're going. And you, one week from tonight, will know as well. Like the video, subscribe to the channel. That's the only ask, and this show will remain free from now until eternity. Let's dive in. We got some camp intel to talk about, some whispers, some nuggets. We got some bad injuries happening all around the country, some of which we've already talked about, and then there's some new stuff that's popped up. But I want to start with LSU. See, LSU does not work on my schedule. I I have implored Brian Kelly, have your scrimmages on Saturday. It fits nice and neat into our calendar. Well, he won't do it. I'm beginning to think he's a bad fit down there, to be honest with you. But that's a joke. In all seriousness, they have a scrimmage tomorrow, as we're talking right now. So they have a Wednesday scrimmage. And what's interesting is in the last 24 hours, of course, we've had news out of Baton Rouge. Miles Brenham, who was part of that three-way quarterback dance, well, he has exited. And so he's just leaving football. 
I don't really have much to say about that. What I do care about are the guys who are still there. So farewell, Miles Brennan. We got Jaden Daniels. We got Garrett Nussmeyer. Those of you who have followed this thing or you've watched the show kind of closely, you know that Nussmeyer has been sort of the slight betting favorite around here. But if you talk to folks around the LSU program, that's not the guy they believe would take the first snaps if the FSU game was tomorrow. Now, there are a couple of reasons for that. The first is he has missed a little bit of time due to an ankle issue. It's not, you know, a huge deal, but he has missed a couple of days. I'm not sure that's what's decided this thing so far, and it's a long way from being decided. Uh, But the other part is Jaden Daniels is not a bad quarterback. There's a reason they took him. There's a reason he transferred to LSU. We knew this back in the spring. What I do believe in talking to a couple of folks is that maybe a little bit too much stock is being placed in where things stand right this moment. And what I keep being told, that two different people close to LSU who have kind of emphatically told me this, They've said, regardless of who it is, maybe it's Daniels, maybe it's Nussmeyer, one day versus the next day. The Wednesday scrimmage is big. So make no mistake about that. The Wednesday scrimmage is big. But the thing I keep having emphasized to me is week one is not week 12. Week one is not our entire season. In other words, just because a guy takes the first snaps in the first quarter when we play Florida State does not mean that's the guy that's going to be on the field when we play Auburn or when we play Alabama, or when we play Texas A&M down the line. We've seen that happen many times before. Uh, Some of these programs, like in Auburn, for example, they've got a workable first few weeks where they can afford for a quarterback battle, if it rolls this way, to spill into the regular season. Well, LSU doesn't necessarily have that luxury. They've got a formidable opponent in week one, Florida State in New Orleans, for the record. And so... Yeah, I think if it were to happen today, it probably is Jaden Daniels. I just think the margin's very small there. I mean, I think for all we know tomorrow, they could have a scrimmage down there. And if Nuss, A, looks like he's healthy, which we think he is, and then B, goes, you know, 18 for 24, uh, two touchdowns, really threads the needle, no bad decisions back there, it could be his job. I think that's how close it is down there. So uh, let's keep an eye on that. Of course, we will probably have a lot more to say about that Thursday night. Because between now and then, they will have another scrimmage. I want to draw your attention, ironically, to South Florida. I'm not going to give you a comprehensive Bulls practice report here, but there's something significant that's happened, and I feel like right off the top of the show, I want to point it out, because we spoke about it. You and I spoke about this in the spring, and it was in relation to Baylor. Remember Gary Bohannon? Remember how he was the quarterback for Baylor last year? And that's Miles. Hey, Miles. Bye, Miles. Gary Bohannon was the quarterback for Baylor last year. Now, in the Big 12 championship game, he didn't start for him. Blake Chapin started for him. But Gary Bohannon has been cited many times by Dave Aranda as being one of the reasons why Baylor was able to go as far as they went last year. Then you fast forward to spring. I cannot emphasize enough how incredible this story is. So Bohannon is neck and neck with Blake Shapin, and they're battling for the starting quarterback position. In the transfer portal era, just to get used to any time there's the faintest whisper of a quarterback battle, a coaching staff maintaining that illusion into the fall so they can keep their quarterback depth. Even if coaching staffs know a guy's running solidly ahead of another one, they have no incentive to tell him because they don't want the other guy to hit the portal. Well, Dave Aranda took the opposite approach. See, Dave Aranda preaches this whole person over player thing, And a lot of times when you hear coaches talk that way, the cynical side of you would think that's coach speak. Well, there's a way to disprove that. 
And it's exactly what Aranda did. Because when a situation arises where it would probably benefit your strict football interests to keep the wool over someone's eyes, Dave Aranda pulled Gary Bohannon in his office, or however he chose to do it, and he said, you are second best here right now. You are not our starting quarterback. Gary Bohannon had time then to hit the portal, and he went to South Florida. Yesterday, he was announced as the starting quarterback for South Florida this year. It's an amazing story. We pull for Gary Bohannon, but on the other side of that coin, I want you to keep that in mind because that is not something that most folks out there are going to do. But anytime that you want to know who's real, you know, we, we love real, being real around here. We call it Pate State material. Dave Aranda's Pate State material, not because he talks a lot, but because he backs up what he says. It's easy to talk. It's easy to have these posters all over the football complex. It's a lot tougher when the decision that that poster and that motto you claim to go by would entail is you weakening your roster. But Aranda allowed it to happen for the betterment of a person. I didn't want to overlook it. I wanted to mention that on the show tonight. So, I mean, I know we're not diving headlong into South Florida Bulls content, but I did want to congratulate Gary Bohannon and hat tip Dave Aranda. Let's go out to Southern Cal. Got some injuries mounting out there, and it's, it's a few guys banged up. That's normal, man. This is camp. Everything, everything this time of year sounds like that. No one's perfectly healthy. But Corey Foreman... Uh, who was the highest-rated player in California two cycles ago. It was a big deal at the time when Clay Helton and his staff kept him home. Corey Foreman is banged up. He hadn't practiced in several days out there. And as you well know, as Lincoln Riley well knows, he's inherited defensive roster depth that is, at best, incomplete. If not outright inadequate, I'm talking about trying to compete on the national level now. Win in six games, they'll do that. But if you want to compete at a higher level than that, they don't have the depth. I mean, they don't have the overall high-level skill that they'll need. That's why they have a new coaching staff. So you got what you got in year one. Foreman's been banged up. Shane Lee, the Alabama transfer at linebacker, he's kind of been in and out. I didn't see today's practice report yet. But the USC injury situation, especially defensively, that's something to pay close attention to because as you see, on your screen right now, if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on pod, let me tell you what the screen says. It says the over-under win total for Southern Cal is not 7.5, it's 9.5. You know, so you lose three games, that under hits. If any of you are testing that market, if any of you are laying a shekel or three on that Pac-12 championship odds, being at plus 210, you need to know this stuff. Uh, USC, you know, they are the only team in the country that opens against one of our favorite opponents. Number one rule on this show, do not lose to food. USC, week one versus Rice. I think they'll be okay there. But they quickly dive into not only conference play at Stanford, but week three, they've got Fresno State and one of the better quarterbacks in America and Jake Hayner, so you have to be ready. Uh, you, you don't take any of these things lightly, especially when you got injury concerns and depth concerns defensively. Keep an eye on that. Also, we talked uh, the other night, if you'll remember, about the injury situation at Texas. And it's bad. There is no way to sugarcoat this. Isaiah Nair, especially the wide receiver, lost for the year. It is, is a big blow for them. Steve Sarkeesian has confirmed that since you and I spoke Sunday night. They lost a, an offensive lineman too. But a guy they also lost but didn't lose him for the season is Roshan Johnson, the running back. And we spoke about him earlier this fall 
and talked about how he is the superior guy in pass pro in that entire running back stable, better than Bijan, better than Keelan Robinson in that department. And I think that it may be overlooked a little bit. We had some of our national guys in the office here today, and I was talking to some of our Texas guys, and they said, Nayer's a huge loss, can't sugarcoat that, but don't overlook Roshan Johnson. That's a, that's a big loss, too. And there's no guarantee. If you got a high ankle situation, you can tightrope it. Medical procedure terminology, we, we don't know. I just recite it because I read it off the screen. But when you tightrope it, it's never a certainty, is what I'm trying to say. It's never a certainty when you're coming off a high ankle that if a doctor tells you four weeks from now you can play, all of a sudden you just enter Monday of that week and voila, I'm good to go. Even then, you don't know how your body's reacting. Now, Roshan Johnson's a superior athlete. He's got access to the best medical treatment in the world. Even then, it's kind of a crapshoot. So they're not, they're not depleted at running back. They got really good options there. Just saying every time you lose a guy that is as versatile as Roshan Johnson and as veteran as him, it does leave a mark. So I'll tell you the thing to pay attention to with Texas. Injuries are what they are. You cannot change them at this point. But remember last year, Steve Sarkeesian's biggest beef with his staff, with himself, and with his team following the Oklahoma game was they got up big, then they blew that lead. He said, we never got our confidence back. I never got the team back. We were shot mentally, and we have to change that. That's all they talked about over the winter conditioning months and spring football and summer conditioning. They talked about getting that mental edge where they can face adversity, which is inevitable, and then we'll overcome it and we'll be better for it or we'll respond better to it. Well, this is it. It doesn't always wait until the season. You got some really big injuries. Some people would call them crippling injuries. Some people like me sat here and said, they're going to win less games this year because of these guys they just lost the other night. Well, you got to prove people like me wrong. And you've got to be able to overcome it. The team response, that Texas team response, how that locker room's responding right now, will speak volumes about how much progress they've really made out there. The injuries are the injuries. That stuff's going to happen. How do you respond to it? There are going to be some teams out there that have injuries happen, and it will completely torpedo their season. There are going to be some other teams out there that lose key players and end up better even then than you thought they were going to be. Why? Well, it's because, believe it or not, if you recruit at any kind of legitimate level, you got good enough players in your locker room if you use them the right way, if you develop them the right way. we just got to find out how far Texas has come. I'll tell you how far we've come is we used to do late kick out of uh, Columbus, Georgia, independently on a cell phone. And now we sit here in beautiful downtown Nashville, Tennessee, and we get to do it to you. Well, we get to do it for you, I guess is the right way I want to phrase that live Internet. We get to do it for free. And you know why we get to do it for free? Because we have the best friend in the world. And that friend's name is Academy Sports and Outdoors. They are our exclusive partner. Can't wait till the clock says September 1st, because then we get to really do some fun things with Academy. Uh, but until then, you just have to settle with me telling you that Academy has everything you need in your entire life. Unless you're one of those extra people, then you may have to go to a couple of more stores. But if you live real, if you live a more minimalist lifestyle like us, and all you really need is... Uh, a chunk of, you know, probably chicken or steak every couple of hours, and then you need to go toss the ball around in the backyard, you need to hang out on the patio, you need to take your kids maybe to play t-ball on Saturday, Academy's got you covered there. You need some new clothes, Academy's got you covered. Shoes, Academy's got you covered. You into golf, they got you covered. So Academy Sports and Outdoors has us as a show covered, and I wouldn't take them on board if I 
didn't know they had you covered as well. And if you don't have one in your backyard, which some of you don't, academy.com is right there on your laptop or on your phone and mobile device, whatever the case. Give them a visit. Give them a look before you go elsewhere. Academy, Sports and Outdoors, and academy.com. They pretty much have 95% of my day-to-day necessities at this point. And with that, we have arrived at the segment that, as far as I could tell today, is the segment that you guys are probably looking forward to the most. So here's what I'm going to do, uh, because it really frustrates me when I watch the replay. I'm going to reattach my IFB there so I can't see the cord. That's the first thing I'm going to do. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you guys, humbly but forcefully, subscribe either to the YouTube channel or the podcast. You guys did it the other day, and we saw a really big ramp up in some very important numbers around here. Management is in town. That's all I'm going to say. It's important, while management is walking about the building here, that we look really good for them. And you always help us out there. So subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. It's free. Nothing happens. It just helps us. It's time to compare the JP poll to the AP poll. Let me take a look at this question from Larry. Larry said, did you see the AP poll? Which teams were the most under and overrated to you? Larry, I'm so glad you asked because believe me, my friend, we were going to talk about this one way or the other. The Notre Dame conundrum is upon us, friends. We often have the Notre Dame conundrum. Now, most of the time, the Notre Dame conundrum sounds like this. You call them overrated, and then I defend their good honor. Well, we have switched positions because the AP poll, as you see on your screen now, came out yesterday, and they've got Notre Dame fifth. It's absurd. Uh, They are overrated. Notre Dame is not the fifth best team in the country. The JP poll came out, as usual, right ahead of the AP poll, We've got Notre Dame 14th. It's one of the biggest discrepancy teams we have. Notice I didn't say Notre Dame's bad. Notice I didn't say they're winning seven games and no more. I did say that I do not think they are a top five team. But what does that mean? I can always say that, but I've got to assign a number to it. So I pulled up our little computer generator, and I wanted to know, what's the difference in our current JP poll What's the difference? What does the model say the gap is, point-wise, between our fifth-best team and our 14th-best team? You want to know what it is? Four points. So for any of you who want to get outraged about this, it's four points. Uh, That is less than the bounce of a ball. For that matter, from about 7 through 22, there's like a five-point gap. So there's a lot of bunching going on once you get past that top tier and then the second tier. Here's what I want to say about Notre Dame. Notre Dame is about to give you all a headache. I'm going to be fine, though. You guys will need me. Those of you claiming that I got Notre Dame underrated and it's blasphemous that I don't have them in the top 10, you are going to need me. Let me tell you how this goes. You already got a sampling of this if you've been perusing national TV today and watching casuals talk about college football. You have heard people say Notre Dame should or shouldn't be ranked fifth but even the crowd in the AP that's got them ranked in the top five. Here's what's about to happen. If Notre Dame goes to Columbus, Ohio in a couple of weeks and they lose, even though it will be them losing in the building of a team that is ranked ahead of them, you will have some people start to call Notre Dame overrated. Mind you, the same people who rated them number five. I'll be sitting over here whistling and I'll almost act oblivious and then you'll say, Josh, what say you? And I'll say, Uh, if anything, maybe I'll bump them up a couple of spots. Why? Because if I've got one team ranked two and the other team ranked 14 and the 14th rated team loses by a couple of touchdowns to the number two rated team, 
in their own building, I got uh, exactly what my ratings say I should have gotten. But you know that's not how that works. There's a lot of emotion baked into this AP cake. And in the AP bakery, the same folks who put a five next to your name will watch you go and lose to number two, and they'll call you overrated. And at that point, we'll have me, the guy who refused to put him top ten, telling the crowd that put him number five, no, 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 you're wrong. Don't sell Notre Dame. Notre Dame's not as bad as you're claiming they are right now. It's, it's as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow. This will happen. It happens all the time with Notre Dame. Notre Dame gets put in the playoff. They get blasted in the playoff by someone rated higher than them. And someone says they shouldn't have been in the playoff. That's not proof they shouldn't have been in the playoff. Any more than Ohio State beating them in week one is proof they shouldn't be in the top ten. I'm telling you they shouldn't be in the top ten. But them losing in week one won't be validation for that. I think it will be borne out over the course of the season. And hey, I may be wrong. But even if I'm right, I'm not going to be proven right. If they go lose 37 to 21 to Ohio State in Columbus, that's what should happen. They shouldn't be neck and neck with Ohio State. They also shouldn't get beat 52 to 7. But if it's somewhere healthily in between that, we've already seen it. If you've hung around this show long enough, you know how this is going to go. Uh, this is why the JP poll exists, to bring everyone back to reality. Next up, I didn't talk about this team the other night a whole lot, but I should have. The Mississippi State Bulldogs were rated number 20 in the JP poll. They are, of course, not ranked at all in the AP poll. That's to be expected. Uh, this, is a very, this is a very forward-thinking product we have here with the JP poll. So Mississippi State goes unranked. I don't even think they were among the teams that got votes in the AP poll. That's okay. I, um, I released the JP poll, and we did have Mississippi State 20th. And predictably, there was a lot of pushback. I get it. It looks weird. We even had Mississippi State rated one spot above Ole Miss, which even I will admit surprised me. But you know how much money this model has made us in the past? And famously, there have been examples of me manually overriding the model and just being totally hung out to dry. So I'm not doing that. I'm... I'm going to trust the model here. We developed it bias-free for a reason. And I dare any one of you to come at me and say, you're just a pro-Mississippi State homer. Yes. Boy, how many whomst amongst us hasn't called me that a time or two? So I had a guy come at me on Twitter.com yesterday. And he said, Mississippi State is not the 20th best team in the country. I said, what's your proof? He said, well, they're going to be an eight-win team at best. They'll probably be a seven-win team at best. And I said, that is interesting. Seven and six, huh? Seven and six is proof that you can't be the 20th best team in the country. Am I understanding you right, sir? I had this conversation in my head. I'm lying about that. He did say the first part, but I didn't go back and forth with him. But here's what's interesting. Both of those things can be true, believe it or not. You are not what your record says you are all the time in college football. That's why we call that phrase one of the biggest lies in our sport. Casuals will try and convince you, you are what your record says you are. An NFL broadcaster told me a win is a win, and since it works on Sunday, it must work on Saturday. No, no, and no. <clears throat> you know what time it is. Paper pop time. Let me explain to you how Mississippi State could reasonably be the 20th best team in the country and go 7-6. and six. Here's how. If we trust our model implicitly, then we trust that Everybody ranked higher than you or rated higher than you in a model should beat you. If everything just played out on paper as it's supposed to. Mississippi State this year plays 
number one, Alabama, number two, Georgia, number six, Texas A&M, number nine, Arkansas. And then listen to this. Those are four games so far. Listen to the lineup right behind them. We got Mississippi State 20, Ole Miss is 21, Kentucky's 22, Auburn's 23, and LSU's 25. They play all four of them. Mississippi State plays two, four, six. They play eight teams that we have in the JP poll top 25. There is a world where we are dead on the money accurate about Mississippi State and they lose six games. There is a world where that happens. But of course, you and I both know that that's not how the AP world works. You are what your record says you are. There's no way we can have a seven-win team in the top 20. Blah, blah, blah. This is why I've always advocated for Vegas-style metrics to be worked into a ranking system. I don't care what your record is against the spread. Okay, anyone who thinks I'm advocating for your record against the spread to be taken into account when we're deciding bowl lineups or we're deciding the playoff, no, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is someone needs to be in the room that can decipher what I just deciphered, that can tell you, hey, that team's got five losses there, but four of the five came against teams that we've got rated in the top 10. So reasonably, anyone not rated in the top 10 should have lost those games. Why are we saying they can't be a top 20 team just because they lost those games? This is common sense. I know it is because even I can figure it out. It's just that not enough people think that way. And certainly our colleagues, our esteemed colleagues that take part in the AP poll don't think that way. So Mississippi State, yeah, I love the talent they return. I had an NFL scout tell me it's the sneakiest good roster in America. From a future NFL standpoint, there's a lot of Sunday talent on that team that you're not paying attention to because they're Mississippi State and you just don't expect a lot from them. But that's your subconscious playing with your own heart because your subconscious is telling your heart, don't waste time on them. Because why? Not because of the quality of their team, but because you know who they have to play. Same thing's happening with the team I'm about to talk about. It should not be factored into the equation at all. Who you play should never impact what your preseason ranking is. I don't care if you're playing middle school teams or you're playing in the NFC West. It shouldn't be factored in, but it is. People start ranking you based on how they think your schedule will pan out and how many wins they think you'll get. That's not how this is supposed to work. While I'm in the SEC West, another team I had a big discrepancy on, me in the JP poll versus the AP poll, is that number nine team on your screen there, Arkansas. Woo pig. Arkansas is an interesting case study because you might think, you know, a lesser man or woman might watch the show and think, he's been really pro-Arkansas as of late. And I have. There's a lot of bias here. I am, I'm pro-Arkansas. I'm not going to go as far as to say this is an Arkansas show. I did not grow up in Arkansas. But we like Arkansas. However, believe it or not, take it or leave it, this is sort of an independent number that our model spits out. True enough, I had a hand in building this model a long time ago, but that's the key, a long time ago. My infatuation with Arkansas is fairly recent. What I'm trying to tell you is we didn't get the model output and then me go and bump Arkansas up to nine. The model said Arkansas is nine, we put them at nine. Uh, so the, the model just flat out likes Arkansas. I'm happy with what the model said because it made me feel good. The model made me feel good. And uh, that's ultimately what we have the model here for. No, we don't actually. We have it for us to make money and to override my emotions. 
Arkansas last year led the nation in rushing. You know that part. What I want to suggest to you today is that even if, even if it's a little bit easier to move the ball on them this year because the interior of that defensive front isn't fortified as well as you want it to be, I think they can override that because I think there's going to be way more potential explosivity in their offense this year than anyone's ready to admit. Sam Pittman sat there with us at SEC Media Days. I think it's okay to tell you this now because he has since said it many times himself. But we were talking off the record. I was sitting there talking to Pittman, and he was talking about his team. This was after we spoke about his Fleetwood Mac obsession. And he said, you know what's really coming on for us is our wide receiver group. And that's a group, you've added Jaden Hazelwood, for example, but Warren Thompson's a guy that's come on strong for them. Matt Landers is a guy that sounds like he's Sam Pittman's son. He talks about him so much. But he has made the point several times in fall camp now to say, you know, that's a group that I thought may be a question for us in spring, and now I watch it and think it's one of our strengths. That's a good thing. Because a lot of the reasoning behind Arkansas being ranked where they are in the AP is you don't think they can replace Traylon Burks. And I'm telling you they can, if not individually, in the aggregate. So I don't think they're going to be nearly as hurting at the receiver position this year. Dare I say you may even watch them a couple of games into the season and say, uh, this is one of the better receiver groups in the SEC. Preview Magazine would not tell you that. you got to be watching. you got to have your ear to the ground. And so with that in mind, along with the fact that we love the intangibles there, love, love, love the intangibles, and that matters in this model. It very much matters. That's why we've got Arkansas so much higher. But like we said with Mississippi State, you look at the schedule, you know how tough it is. This could be a year, it could be a world, where they finish with a three or four loss season, and yet we sit here with a number nine or 10 or 11 or 12 rating on them and feel totally confident in it. Why? Because they play A&M, they play Alabama, they've got back-to-back trips to Mississippi State and then to Brigham Young, no bye week. After the bye week, they go back out on the road at Auburn. So they got Ole Miss towards the end of the year. My point there is... You are not always what your record says you are. I was listening to Pittman talk to the Little Rock uh, quarterback club last night. He said, yeah, you know, if we had six wins, there's a lot of room to go up. He's already trying to temper. He said, but we won nine games last year. So, you know, there are only three rungs we could go up. There's a lot further we can fall than we can climb. Sam Pittman. He may be a new head coach, but that's some veteran, that is some veteran speaking circuit talking there. Remind the locals... Uh, we could lose a couple of games this year. Let's not start burning couches when it happens, or if it happens. The last team I wanted to touch on is the Fighting Jessies of Penn State. You might know them as the Nittany Lions. They are not ranked. What are we doing right now? I'll tell you what you're doing. You're factoring way too much the last two years into your mentality when it comes to what you think about Penn State. We couldn't care less about it. I've got them rated 10th. I am not building a model in the rearview mirror. We are windshield thinkers when it comes to what we think will happen. And for anyone, and I know a lot of you have already come at me like this, so I'm, I'm speaking out of experience. For anyone who comes at me and says, you can't have them rated there because last year, blank. Or because the last two years, blank. I just, I always ask you guys, can you please go find me the examples throughout history, any team, where their year looked exactly like the year before. They were the exact same team. And those examples are very, very few and far between. The point is, 
History tells you you almost never get a duplicate result. So why would you disproportionately bake last year into your overall thinking of what's going to happen this year? You're automatically setting yourself up for failure and you don't even realize it. We're trying to figure out what Penn State is and will be, not what they were. So I'll tell you what the model's picking up on very quickly. The model does not have any emotion in its thinking towards Sean Clifford. All it thinks about with Sean Clifford is he's probably getting AARP mail and he's a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback. The model probably looks at him as a B-level quarterback. There aren't a lot of B or better quarterbacks in college football, contrary to popular belief. There aren't. I know you got a bunch of four and five stars every year. The reality is you got far fewer that end up being B-level or better options. What happened last year is what another person tried to throw in my face today. They said, didn't you have Penn State rated top 10 in the preseason last year? We sure did. And what? He said, well, well, look at their record from last year. I am. But here's the thing. We didn't have Penn State rated in the top 10 at the end of the year. Do you know why? Because the roster had become beat to death. This rating is a today rating. So if Sean Clifford, God forbid, goes down in week one like he did at Iowa last year, when, by the way, they were undefeated top 10 at the time, then we will adjust on the fly. But our, I'm, I feel very good about where we had them rated last year before injury derailed them. I feel very good about where we have them this year. Also, I want you to think about the last two years. This is where a lot of people cannot get past this with Penn State. And I guess the difference between the AP thinking and the JP thinking is our model doesn't care. Our model looks at the last two years and sees 11 and 11 Total combined record, one of the years was the COVID year, obviously, so it doesn't add up mathematically. Our model looks, and it can reasonably explain away both of those subpar performances. I know once emotion enters the room, you start saying things like, well, that's tough. They just got to get the job done. Or, yeah, one year, it could be an exception, but two years is a trend. That's not real, is what I'm saying. That you didn't back that up. It doesn't have any logic founded in data. That's just nonsense speak. Or even if you're right, you didn't back it up properly. The model is looking at Penn State quite literally, and they're saying, what's all the noise over there? Why are they not ranked? This is, this is one of the top 10 or 12 teams in the country. So that's why they're where they are. Now, they open the season with two games out of the first three weeks on the road that are going to be very difficult for them. So who knows? Hey, if we're going to be wrong about Penn State, we'll find out very early. That'll be, a, that'll be an, an added treat for you, I guess. All right, let's roll on. Should I tell the management story? I think it's deep enough in the show. I should tell the management story. <sighs> you know how we, we have a very, very up and down love-hate relationship around here with management? Here's the reason I am so freely talking about them right now. Management is in town. And you know what they did? They scheduled a party, company-wide, right smack dab in the middle of our show. So they're a couple of blocks away doing who knows what, getting into who knows what. And here we are dutifully coming to you live from high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee and high atop management as it turns out. And so on one hand, they've come through for us. On the other hand, I'm halfway confident they don't even know what time the show airs, but that's okay. Cause not, a, as it turns out, not everyone on this crew happens to be what you would call a people person. There's a mirror over here. That's why I'm looking that way. And so we're cool. They're cool. Everyone's cool. Let's talk about some Q&A. Let's get into the mailbag. This is going to be really good. I, I want to go kind of rapid fire here, but 
This question about Clemson is one that we've gotten a version of a lot. Listen to this. If Clemson has another 10-2 and two season, is it considered a failure for Dabo Swinney? What does he need to do this year to get everyone believing in him again? From LaBelle, Florida. I never stopped believing in Dabo Swinney. Some of you may have, so I don't know if I'm in the majority or minority. I cannot imagine after one slightly down year, everyone sold on Dabo Swinney. If you did, it couldn't be just for football reasons. I'll put it that way. So I do know that there are some people out there who are skeptical. I've spoken to some coaches, mainly the ones who aren't in the ACC, who are skeptical because they look and they see the attrition and they see the down performance at quarterback last year and they know that he lost his coordinators and my whole point with Clemson, regardless of what happens this year, I happen to think they'll be good this year. Okay, that's, I'm kind of on the record with that already. I think they'll be good. I think they'll be right there in the ACC championship game. That's what I think about them. But the question is, what if they lose two games? Well, it's not the end of the world if you lose two games would be my immediate response. Uh, the follow-up to that is there's this haze collectively that has set in in the college football public when it comes to Clemson, my advice is this is applicable to Clemson fans too, quite frankly. Don't let five minutes overtake 50 years worth of bent up or pent up historical logic. You've learned things. History has taught you things about what historically should be the norm at Clemson. It's not what you've seen over the past five or six years. History has told you that's the outlier. And yet now it's become the expected norm. And so, We've got, we've got questions right now. What if they do fill in the blank, and then in that blank it says 10 wins? 10 wins would have been one of the best seasons in program history before this run started. And now we're asking questions like, is it a failure? Do we give up on the guy? Do we just we sell him down the river? Is it time for next man up? That's a, that's a little hyperbolic. Not far away from reality, though. No, of course you don't. What reality is... I know not everyone wants to live on this planet, but what reality is, is they should struggle. It should be hard to replace those coordinators. You don't get to tell me for years how stable that coaching staff is and how integral a role they play in your success and then lose them and say, oh, no big deal, we'll replace them. No, it's either one or the other. You lost a generational defensive coordinator in Brent Venables. It's not just plug and play, or it shouldn't be. Now, if it is then that's a testament to Dabo Swinney. He's built a rock-solid culture up there. It's one of the best programs in America. So I guess when you tell me people are giving up on Dabo Swinney, I don't think you know much about Dabo Swinney, firstly. Uh, or if you did know something, maybe you've forgotten over the course of a few months. Uh, the second thing is, it used to be that even some of the greatest coaches in history in another generation were given time to have multiple years of struggle. You know Bear Bryant at Alabama is one of the best of all time. Go check out the latter 60s, early 70s with Bryant, especially the late 60s. Go check out the late 60s. Uh, they, got, they got jilted out of a national championship in 66, but then look at the subsequent years. What would happen if that were in 2022? Would Bryant have even been afforded the ability to go on the run he went on in the 70s? Or would college football collectively have said... Games passed him by. He's lost it. You're talking about a couple of years where if you applied the modern standards, Bama would be struggling to make a bowl. But then he got it right. There was this thing called the wishbone that came along too. Played a pretty big role. And 
all of a sudden, I think he, he lost like, he lost less than half a dozen conference games the entire decade of the 70s or something like that. There's some absurd stats. But my point is with Dabo Swinney, it used to be that last year's not even a blip on the radar screen. Last year's looked at as a good year if you applied past generations standards. But there are untenable standards applied today. Why? Because you get paid a lot of money, which of course doesn't change what reality is. But no one wants to have that conversation. So to answer the question, no, I won't be giving up on him. If they win 10 games this year, I would call it a good year. Even by Clemson standards, I would call it a good year. They're watching us in Gaithersburg, Maryland tonight. They're watching us in Charlotte, North Carolina. They are watching us in Mansfield, Ohio. We thank all of you for that. We got 673 likes right now. We got over 1,700 watching live. I would like us to have 1,000 Click that little thumbs up. That's all I want. Well, that and for you to subscribe to the channel. Uh, let's continue here. Really good question. This kind of goes back to what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Here's the question. Do schools send out uncommittable offers? If not, why does everyone think that from Montclair, New Jersey? The answer is yes. Schools do, I guess, not send out uncommittable offers because that makes it tangible. An uncommittable offer or a non-committable offer. It's sort, of, it's sort of like more fabled, but it's real in college football. And you got to get into the weeds of recruiting a little bit to even know what that means. But what it is, is given the current structure of college football recruiting, for those of you who don't really follow it, here's how it works. You get scared that you're either going to lose out on kids or someone got the jump on you on a kid. And so a lot of times, especially when they're sophomores or juniors, what some program, not all of them, what some programs will do is they'll send a kid an offer, okay? They're banking on that kid not being ready to commit right that moment because what that kid doesn't know sometimes is they've sent you a piece of paper, they've, it says you got an offer, but really in their war room, they got, a, they got a board up here and your name is probably eighth on their defensive tackle recruiting depth chart. In other words, you don't really have the ability to commit to them today. How does that work? They sent you an offer. Well, it's called an uncommittable offer. This is a practice that's frowned upon by some. It is, it is widely practiced by others. And there was a conversation that was had about this very issue at the Recruiting and Personnel Symposium that I took part in in Nashville a couple of weeks ago. Some of the biggest names in college football were in town. And it was off the record, so I can, I can share what I can share with you, but there was a lot of talk about this. There were some folks, there were some men and women who work in recruiting and personnel departments who said, we don't ever do this. There were some others who said, we do it, but we do it because we think we have to do it. If it were illegal or if everyone else stopped doing it, we'd stop doing it. Pivotal leadership stance there, by the way. So anyway, there were two proposals. And now that we've admitted this is going on, there were two proposals that I think if, if they were combined would rectify a lot of this. The first one is, I love the idea of shifting to the college Olympic model, which is where you cannot be visiting anyone or getting offers until September of your junior year in high school. I'll tell you why that's important in a second. And the other part is make an offer database. It's public. Everyone can see it. The kid can see it. Other coaches can see it. I would selfishly love for the media and public to be able to see it. But even if the latter parties can't, make it public, kind of like the transfer portal. Everybody in the football industry can see the transfer portal. 
And you're either in the portal or you're not in the portal. Where I would love for offers to work the same way. I either have an offer or I don't have an offer. But here's the rule. Hypothetically, if that were to be the case, the rule would be if you extend me an offer, there is no uncommittable. There's, there is none of that. If you're telling me I've got an offer, I can check that database. Boom. There it is. It was loaded 20 minutes ago. I can accept it right now. So you're on the hook. If you offer me, you've got to be ready to accept my commitment. Now, where could that be a mess? Well, it could obviously be a mess because if I were to offer a bunch of receivers and all the receivers took the offer, that's not balancing my recruiting profile. So yes, I do understand there would have to be conditions for a certain maximum amount per position. There would have to be some checks and balances in there. I get that. But for broad strokes purposes, I would love to see that national database. It would slow everything down. Number one, if we're using the Olympic model, no one is even getting offers or going on official visits until their junior year starts. So there's no more offering freshmen and sophomores. No one wants to do that anyway. They just do it because they think they have to to stay out of the curve. Slows it down that way. Coaching staffs aren't having to recruit four classes simultaneous. That helps them. And number two, it greatly reduces the amount of overall early offers that go out because you're scared as a coaching staff that if I offer this kid early in his junior year, I don't have junior or senior tape on him. So unless I'm ultra sure that he's just a slam dunk, I better hold off on offering him. Everybody else will too. And so I think it would rectify a lot of these problems. I don't know how realistic it is to get that put in place, but I would love that a lot of folks at that symposium. Not all of them, but a lot of them did love that. Next question, please. Uh, we, where are we at? We at 773. Every time I ask for likes, about 100 more pop up. I'll ask again. Like the video, please. Ryan is next up. He said, if the season was just turned on its head and the usuals were left out of the playoffs, who are your teams that could make it from Funston, Georgia? Okay, the rule here is the usual crowd is gone. There is no Bama. There is no Ohio State. They're gone, gone, gone. Who's making it instead? I think the wildest scenario, because I think Georgia should be out of this too, because Georgia's been enough of a mainstay. So if the usuals are out, it's got to be Texas A&M, right? Texas A&M and the SEC, I think that would be a wild story. Imagine if Jimbo Fisher was the reason why not only Bama didn't make it, but then Jimbo Fisher ended up being the coach that punches his ticket. Another first-time playoff participant there. I think that would be interesting. The odds right now for A&M to win the SEC championship are plus 1,600. I think if a team were to come out of the SEC and it's not Bama or Georgia... At the moment, I would lean Texas A&M. The next team that I think would be really interesting is the team A&M plays in week three, and that's Miami. If Clemson's not in it, they're kind of a usual, so we push them off to the side. If they're not in it, what if it's Miami? What if Tyler Van Dyke is that guy? What if Mario Cristobal just inherited the exact mix he needed to in year one, and then he infused just the right amount of energy and momentum in year one, and they make the playoff? Schedule's kind of workable. You know, Clemson's an overwhelming favorite to win this conference, but Miami plays them towards the end of the regular season. They may get them again in the ACC championship game. Maybe Clemson's not there. Who knows? But I think if anyone were to come out of the ACC, if we combined the most realistic team with the one that would turn everything upside down, I would say Miami is that team. Let's go to the Pac-12. And this one's easy. It's USC. 
Now, USC is not a usual, but USC, from an odds perspective, they're the co-favorite right now to win the Pac-12. Both they and Utah are at plus 210 to win the Pac-12. I cannot overstate enough the amount of slurping that would happen on the national level if Southern Cal ever makes the playoff. You cannot ima- imagine three weeks of that, of, of national media types from coast to coast just slurping USC. And I can't promise that we wouldn't participate. Full disclosure, I'd be excited about it. But woo, we wouldn't go as overboard. We would we, go full over the cliff. It would be Thelma and Louise, only it would be national sports writers in the front seat. Boom, straight off the cliff, singing fight on all the way down to the bottom of the canyon. USC would turn things on the collective ear if they were to make the playoff. And lastly, you know what? Why not? Let's put James Franklin and Penn State in the playoff. If Ohio State's not going to make it, and if it's not going to be Michigan, it's Penn State, right? I know the odds would say that Wisconsin has the, the third best odds to win the Big Ten. I think Penn State's a better team, although we, we have Wisconsin highly ranked in the JP poll, but not quite as high as Penn State. I think if we saw 36-year-old Sean Clifford at quarterback leading the Nittany Lions into a first-round playoff game, I think it would be a spectacular sight. I absolutely think if James Franklin and Penn State made the playoff, it would qualify as a wild scenario because no one can get past Ohio State in their mind. And if they can, it's Michigan doing it. But what if Penn State ends up doing it? So if, if, and if, well, I guess this could never happen. I don't know what kind of odds you would have to give me on this playoff. But imagine if we were to hit the fast forward button. Wee, 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 and we hit play. And it's Selection Sunday. And we're looking at A&M, Miami, USC, Penn State. Parody? Competitive balance? Whew. What has happened? In that world, by the way, what has happened to Ohio State? Famine? Plague? Where did they go? What happened to Alabama? Where are you, Georgia? Nowhere to be found, Clemson. I don't know how that would happen, uh, other than just people take a sabbatical from the sport for a year. But yeah, you give me A&M, Miami, USC, Penn State, if even one of them makes it in, I think that would be a pretty wild scenario. Speaking of national championships, we had one last question here from Mark. And um, I don't know if every bit of you saw this news yesterday, so maybe I'm breaking it for you. Mark asked, well, Mark said, I saw Atlanta and Miami are getting national title games. What's your favorite venue to host a national title game? Mark, I'm glad you came to me because once upon a time I dreamed of being able to answer this question and now I can. I've been to like every one of them. I've been to several national championship games now. It never gets old to say that. Boy, it makes me feel good to say it. So if you missed the news, Atlanta is going to host the 2025 game. In fact, I think uh, the next two years we're going to LA for this season and then we're going to Houston next year and then in 2025... It's Atlanta, and then in 2026, it's Miami. If you're looking on the screen right now on YouTube, you see where we've been so far. Tampa, Atlanta, Santa Clara, New Orleans, Miami, Indianapolis. This year, it's Inglewood, LA. Uh, Houston next year, Atlanta and Miami. I think I was at every one of those. So, yeah, I was at every one. So here's what I think about it. You would think that because I grew up an hour south of Atlanta, I was, I'm really going to stand on the table for Atlanta. I'm not anti-Atlanta. Please don't misunderstand me. But I have got a favorite city. I got a favorite national championship city. And you know where it is? It's New Orleans, Louisiana. The Superdome. 
whatever it's sponsored by at the moment, is my favorite city to host a national championship game. I have spoken glowingly of the city of New Orleans before. It, it, it's a building that was built in 1971, and yet I like it more than some of the more modern facilities. It is massive. Superdome is it's appropriately named. I know a lot of you have been there. The Superdome is just such a huge building. It's, it feels like you could put these other places in it. That's the first thing. The second thing is the city of New Orleans is tailor-made to be an event city. They really embrace their events. I've never been there for a Super Bowl, but I imagine they do a really good job on the Super Bowl because they get them all the time. But Final Fours, uh, National Championship Games, they've had WrestleMania down there I think a couple of times. They are an event city. When we've gone to some of these cities that shan't be named, you could not have even known the game was taking place there. That's not New Orleans. Every street corner is decorated. All the city buses have the sightings put on them. Every lamp post has a national championship flag hanging from it. And everybody in the community stops what they're doing and they play a role in hosting the game. It makes all the difference in the world. Quite frankly, they treat us a lot better than we should be treated. I am a believer that we should not get police escorts to games as the media. It always makes me feel like I need to cover my face out of shame, but we do get it. So New Orleans, number one. Indianapolis, surprisingly, to me at least, is on this list, and we just came from Indy. This is not recency bias, though. I, ignorantly, because I had not ever covered an event in Indianapolis, went into the national championship game this past January thinking... Well, this is going to blow. I was in Miami last week. I got to go to Steve Wolfong's backyard and freeze for a week? No, I never had to go outside, actually, because the entire downtown is connected. Even the stadium. You just walk underground, you go to the stadium. I mean, you never have to go outside if you don't want to. I mean, you know, some of you went out there to rip a cig every now and then, but I don't smoke, so I didn't have to go outside. But Indianapolis is kind of like New Orleans. They're an event city, which I didn't know. Uh, it's even part of the nickname there. And so I learned all about Indianapolis in my three or four days there. They did such a good job. And they also were aware that they had to win some people over because they were keenly aware a bunch of these folks just covered a semifinal game on a beach. Now we're bringing them to the dead of winter in central Indiana. We got to go above and beyond. And they did. They did. I was so happy to see the NFL Combine chose to stay there. They should. Some of those general managers and scouts would have rioted if you took it out of Indianapolis. Here's where I'm going to get pushback. If Herb Street's watching, he, he will probably get in the comment section, go all caps, and say, what about the Rose Bowl? Who, what gives you the right? Who do you think you are? The Rose Bowl should be where every college football game from now until eternity is played with any consequence. I like the Rose Bowl. I do like it. It's very picturesque. I've been out there. I was out there for the Bama-Texas title game. I appreciate the Rose Bowl. Trust me, even though I grew up in the South, I have supreme appreciation for the Rose Bowl. I'm just saying, I think there are other places that do a really good job too. So if you, if you were to wake up tomorrow morning and you and I were to pull up our I, Josh, or your I, whatever your name is, and we saw that uh, Herbie gets his way, college football revolves around Pasadena, at least in the postseason. I wouldn't, I wouldn't fire off a mad tweet or anything. But I like New Orleans. Sue me. I like New Orleans. I like Miami. I am I'm a decent fan of Atlanta. Look, my trepidation with Atlanta is because I love the Georgia Dome, and they blew the thing up. You couldn't even see it because a Marta bus, bus parked in front of the camera. I love the Georgia Dome. 
Okay, I was a Georgia Dome guy. So when they took it away from me, they just killed her right in front of me behind the Marta bus. I look at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and I think that structurally, the fact that you can make metal and steel look like origami is wonderful. But it doesn't have the soul of the Georgia Dome inside for me. Okay, so I hold it against that building. The Superdome has got echoes of Muhammad Ali fights and Super Bowls and WrestleManias and Final Fours. I mean, Michael Jordan, dude, how many times can I watch highlights of him playing down in the Superdome? Stuff has happened there, and I've gotten to cover games there, so I love it. Place as old as dirt. I love it, and they've kept it renovated enough. The Rose Bowl is among these locations. It does not, for me, stand infinitely above and beyond. However, I am well aware you don't get sunsets in Atlanta or New Orleans indoors like you do over the San Gabriels at 5 p.m. local time when everyone else on the East Coast is sitting there already in the dark. I get it. I'm not against it. But I am here to tell you Pasadena does not have a national championship game between now and 2025. So you're going to have to suck it up. You're going to have to bite the old wooden spoon and come with me, if you will, to Inglewood. Come with me, one and all, to Houston. I, I'm a fan of Miami as well. Let me put that on there. I'm a fan of Miami as well. Any excuse I have to spend New Year's in South Florida, I am on the record, above and beyond, excited about that too. So, like, I'm a New Orleans guy. That's where, that's where my loyalty lies when it comes to postseason. Uh, but truthfully, I'll go anywhere. Because I grew up dreaming about doing that anyway. Thank you guys so much for watching. A final reminder, make sure you like the video and subscribe. Not only to the YouTube channel, but to the podcast feed. Very important, very important. Because less than like 30% of our podcast listeners are actually subscribed to the pod. Imagine the magical things we could do if everyone was subscribed. Nothing's going to change for you. There's no virus in your phone. There's no mailer coming to your mailbox every two days. It just helps us. Uh, you guys help us anyway. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of your evening. We'll be right back here Thursday night. Until then, take care and God bless you.